Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have Audrian Mc... Now I'm going to mess up. McKeon? Yes, <laughs> you totally name. got it. You got it. <laughs> She's the First author. try. She's the author of Melting Ivory, a professional storytelling coach and creator and host of That's Allowed podcast. She also does accents and is a professional narrator. Thank you for taking the time to be a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So um, I did start reading your book, Melting Ivory. and. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things that it starts off like how you were trying to, you went to West Africa to escape racism. How how did that happen? <laughs> it's not that's that's not quite it. I didn't go there to escape racism because I kind of realized that you you really can't escape racism. Um, racism is really entrenched in every culture around the world uh, in some form or fashion. But what I realized is that I wanted to go someplace where they were really aware of racism so that we could kind of have a dialogue about it and I could maybe make some progress on my own kind of um, unconscious biases, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I went there with this awareness that uh, I'd kind of been surrounded by racism my whole life but it hadn't really affected me until recently. And so now that I was aware of it, I wanted to talk about it and learn more about it and figure out how I could kind of dismantle it within myself and the people around me. Awesome. And how did that work out for you? Did it work? It was much more complex than I had imagined. (laughs) (laughs) In like what way? Uh, Let's say that it was a process. You know, I thought of myself as this very like, a progressive, you know, not racist person. And as I, you know, when I lived in Africa and then when I came back um, married to an African man, I learned that there were all these layers. It was like this onion of just peeling back the layers and the layers and the layers and looking deeper and deeper that, you know, I had been sort of exoticizing this culture, even though, you know, I loved other cultures and thought, you know, oh, these people are so beautiful and interesting. But I had also kind of, uh, simplified them in a way and looked at them as this sort of like fairy tale world that I had stumbled into. And it turned out to be, Ooh, there's, there are good people and bad people everywhere you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it that way. You know, I, I found that to be true too. Cause I moved to Alabama yeah. from New Jersey and I thought mm-hmm. I would move here and it would just be like, people just like living in shacks, hanging out and having fun. And <laughs> it's so yeah. much more complicated than what yeah. I thought it was. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the bottom line is just recognizing that all people are people. <laughs> we all, you know, when you strip away all the specifics, we all want the same stuff. We want to be safe and happy and we want our families to be safe and happy. Uh, we want to have some good times. Uh, we don't want to be in pain everyone's just kind of looking for the same stuff. It's just that we make spectacularly poor choices sometimes in trying to figure out how to make that happen for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like I also noticed like, like in New Jersey, we like, we had like a really divulse, diverse (laughs) culture there. Like a lot of different people in a small area. And then when I moved here, it's pretty much just white people. Yeah. um, Yeah. And, you know, it's just weird, like, how people judge each other. Yeah. And some of the, um, I don't know what's the word, like, misconceptions of different cultures and races. Absolutely. Um, it's just, but, you know, you have to, again, you have to understand people don't know this stuff. And you have to sort of forgive people's ignorance um, unless they are willfully ignorant. And there's a certain point at which you kind of have to say, okay, well, you should have like done some, some research and figured this out. But at the same time, I try to be really kind and just compassionate to recognize that when someone sees another culture, you know, they, they have a very limited experience of that culture. And so they're judging based on what they've seen. And a lot of times what they've seen is just what media has shown them. 
And so it doesn't surprise me that when I tell people, you know, that I was in West Africa, they ask me, oh, did you go on a safari or, you know, did you see tigers or zebras? It's like, well, no, <laughs> that's East Africa, but also no tigers. But anyway, you know, people just make, they, come, they jump to conclusions based on the little experience that they have. And that's understandable. Yeah. And I'm starting to learn that to myself down here that, you know, you can't blame people for not being exposed. Right. And, and in some ways, if I'm judging somebody for not being exposed to something that I have, then that makes me guilty. Right. Right. So um, I just try to, that's part of why I wrote this book is I wanted to just help people experience a culture that they probably will not get to experience in person. Yeah. And, and I do, I love your book. Like that book was like, it's not like something like that I would normally read. And, yeah. um, and I got it. I'm really into it. I'm actually going to finish it because it's such a good book. Thank you. Um, That's it, a great it, compliment. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it does. It, it, it crosses sort of different interests. You yeah. know, there's there's yeah. so many different aspects that happen in your book from the theater and the trip to Africa and, and oh my gosh. the cultural differences. And there's, there's just so you, much there. Trying to define this book for marketing purposes was like impossible. <laughs> I had to pick, you know, two categories on Amazon and I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Because as you're experiencing, there's just so much that happened during that time that it was like, that's life. You know, it's like a big blender full of everything happening all at once. And so how do you, you know, categorize your own life? It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wrote my book too. I had a difficult time trying to figure out which category to put it in on Amazon. It's kind of funny, like two choices. (laughs) Yeah. Like two categories, really? And sometimes you don't even put your book in the categories that you choose. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So when you were in Africa, like how long did it take you to adjust? And, and like <laughs> what, what things did you do to, <gasps> to, you know, help that along that process? So first of all, when I first got there, I had much worse culture shock than I had expected to. You know, I've traveled a lot. Like I, my family's European. And so I've been to Europe and I've been to a lot of different places. And so I really was expecting that this would be pretty seamless. And when I got there, I think part of it was the um, anti-malaria medication that uh, I had to take. It made me really paranoid and I just was really freaked out. (laughs) And so for like the first week, I was terrified to even like leave my hotel room. And it wasn't like a, you know, a racist thing of like, you know, I'm scared of black people. It was like, mm-hmm. I was just scared of Africa, like, <laughs> like the humidity and the, uh, the, how everything was so different, you know? And I just couldn't find any kind of cultural hooks to like grapple on, you know, uh, like going, going to buy food was this huge ordeal where I'm used to, you know, you walk into a store, you give someone money and you get food. Here it was like, I have to go and haggle with people over, you know, the prices of these different unfamiliar foods. And so it was just like so, so much. (laughs) Uh, And so what really helped me was making friends with locals, just letting, kind of trusting someone and saying, okay, you know what's going on here. I don't. So I'm going to let you, you know, make certain decisions for me. And in the end, that ended up kind of biting me in the butt, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But it really did. But it really did help me to uh, calm down and start to enjoy the culture there, which is really, really wonderful once I was able to just relax and enjoy it. <laughs> That's yeah. one of the things that drives my wife crazy. It's like when we go to New York, I would always haggle with street vendors. She's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is how you do it. That's how it's done. <laughs> it's yeah, actually kind of fun. Yeah, even within like, you know, a, a very small geographic area, you can have wildly different cultures. And it's very interesting to, to notice that. Yeah, yeah. Even here in like in Alabama, there's so many different types of cultures and in just our county yeah like i wasn't really expecting like that i wasn't expecting to move to alabama and find like oh yeah this is the german part of town this is the french Mm -hmm. part of town yeah really i thought everybody was just 
Creole or something. Nope. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you have any, uh, <clears throat> any disappointments with West Africa? Oh boy. I mean, yeah, of course. I, uh, I had a very, I'm a very optimistic person, you know, and I have a tendency to just trust people right off the bat. It's just my nature. Uh, I'm a very open person. I'm a very honest person. And what I discovered really quickly in Africa is that that did not go over well. (laughs) (laughs) That they have a very, um, a very strong affiliation with discretion, if I can put it that way, that there are things that you just don't share with other people. And there are things that you don't talk about. And there's a lot of kind of, you know, it's, it's a very traditional a conservative culture in a lot of ways. And especially when it comes to women, uh, you're not supposed to have a sex drive. You're not supposed to talk about your sexuality. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, and the it's a very patriarchal society, you know? And so the women are pretty much owned uh, by the men in a lot of ways. And so by being honest about, you know, who I was interested in or who I wanted to see or who I was seeing, uh, I, I created a lot of problems for myself and for the people around me. And so I figured that out uh, a little too late, but pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess I was disappointed that I thought of it as this very, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I I thought of it as this very natural culture. If, if I can say that, right. that everyone would be really in harmony with nature, you know, cause they're like living, you know, close to the animals and there's all these amazing fruits. And it, it, I thought of it, it's going to be this like Eden, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and no, it's actually a very conservative, uh, mostly Christian and Muslim culture now. And mm-hmm. so that was, that was pretty tough for me. Um, I thought I would see a lot more matriarchal culture, but no, it's very, very patriarchal, at least in the areas that I was in. And it felt very restrictive, which was really hard for me because I'm a real uh, open kind of person. Sounds a lot like Alabama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was going to be my next question, like about the religious practices and stuff, because I picture Africa, you know, I'm picturing like a chief and a shaman and Well, and that's still there. Don't get me wrong. Like there's a definite underpinning of the kind of animistic uh, traditional African religions underneath the Christianity and the Islam, Islamic um, areas. And the area that I was in, they are very strong, like they have a very strong belief in witchcraft. That witchcraft is something that is real to them. It is regularly practiced and it is scary. Because when they say witchcraft, a lot of the time what they mean is poisoners. People who are really, really good at poisoning other people with plants. Oh. Yeah. And they, but they also have a really strong belief in the mystical. And they have these, they would call them fetisher, which is kind of like a shaman. Mm-hmm. And these people are the people who offer you protection from witchcraft. And protection from kind of mystical and psychic attacks, I guess. And so I ended up kind of finding myself really wrapped up in some of these dramas (laughs) of the household that I was living in. I don't want to give too many spoilers, but I will say the uh, head of the household wanted to control me and my movements uh, for reasons that I won't get into here. And I'm pretty sure that it some point I started getting poisoned. Uh, I started waking up with these wounds on my hands that for all the world looked like stigmata, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, yeah, it, it was pretty freaky uh, at the time. But I actually think that is how they got the poison into my system was through thorns that they would put into the veins uh, on the palms of my hands. I don't know why they chose, the, chose that in particular, um, it's kind of a strange choice, in my opinion, but I I wasn't privy to what the heck was going on. Um, and then I had someone go and do a protection spell for me. And all of a sudden, it was like, literally, I woke up, I felt fine. I'd been really, really sick. I mean, like, I thought I was going to die sick. And then I woke up, I was fine. I felt great. And my hands were completely 
like free of any blemish. It was like it had never happened. It was just gone. And I still to this day can't explain that. There has to be something to it. Right? Yeah. I mean, it was, and I would have these dreams. Um, like the, the guy that I was seeing that I wasn't supposed to be seeing. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know this, but apparently he was born a twin. But his twin sister died in childbirth. Now, I had a dream that his sister came and talked to me and told me that he was a twin and that she was his sister and all of these things. Now, there's no way that I could have known that because he never told me and nobody else would have told me. And so when I brought this up to him, he just looked at me like, who told you that? And I was like, nobody told me. She did. <laughs> she came into my dream and told me this. So I had some really, really weird experiences uh, when I was in Africa that, again, I have no rational explanation for. Um, but I can tell you that belief is incredibly powerful. And when you're surrounded by people who believe something, like 100% believe something, not just, oh, this might be the case, but like they believe this, this is true for them. I think it affects you. I don't think you get to choose to not have that same agreement. Yeah, that, that, <clears throat> that's one of the topics that I often cover on this, on my podcast is, I think too, if, if you have enough people believing the same thing, mm -hmm. that consciousness will actually make it a reality. Absolutely because there's so many people directing their, their energy basically towards that same thing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing that happened while I was there, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I was traveling in an area that was very strongly kind of mystical and they have this thing called the rock of Shendale. And this rock is where you kind of come to make sacrifices. Uh, and so I just, because it was the thing to do, <laughs> brought a chicken to be sacrificed but the guy <laughs> looked at me and it was like he knew because at the time I was a vegetarian it was like he mm -hmm. knew that I had never killed anything in my life before and so he told me I was gonna have to do it and I was like what <laughs> and he and he hands me the knife and he's like you have to do it and he kind of helped me do it but I cut this chicken's throat and we threw uh -huh. the chicken up in the air and it kind of did these weird cartwheels and then fell on the ground. And uh, he said, okay, uh, you know, you'll, your, your sacrifice has been made. What do you want? And I said, I wanted to protect my daughter because I knew that someday I would have a daughter. Again, don't ask me why. Just one of those weird dreams I had. Um, I, I wanted to protect her from jealousy, specifically jealousy. And I knew, do now have a daughter. And so we'll see how that plays out. I have no idea what, why she needed that protection in the future, but I guess we'll find out, huh? <laughs> Definitely. Um, with that kind of experience, do you feel like time is actually a linear thing or that, you know, everything is sort of predestined and we kind of oh, get gosh. a peek into the future? I have a more kind of quantum view of things. I think that we kind of make up our reality as, as we go along, but I do think there are certain things that are kind of touch points or, or you know, time, timelines <laughs> that we kind of get to eventually where things cross over, like two realities kind of meet at this important uh, point. And I don't know how it works. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a gal. Uh, I'm just a human. And so the, the view I have of reality is like, you know, a tiny little speck on a tiny little area of a huge, huge thing that's way too big for, for me to see. So I don't really know how time works, but I do know that I have had visions uh, that have come true. Uh, and so I, I don't know how that works, but there it is. Yeah. It's also similar with like experiences of like deja vu. Right. Yeah, Which exactly. Something that, I don't know, lately I've been experiencing a little bit more of. Um, but I do have like a quantum type of view on the universe. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been reading this book, I think it's called Samadhi. And according to this book, there's like this vast void. And then there's just this one particle. Mm -hmm. And just and that's all that exists in the entire universe. But because there's just this one particle, 
it has to take on every possible right variation and yeah. it happens all at one time like in a flash mm-hmm. but because our perception needs to catch up that gives us like this illusion of time right you know, yeah and, like, and i think wow. we you know okay so if there's just one thing and everything is part of that one thing right everything mm-hmm. is one we are all the same but in order to experience anything like to have an experience of life we have to create these binaries of good and bad and dark and light and life and death and all these things and so that's why i think our experience is so extreme and binary (laughs) is because that's the only way that we can actually experience otherness is to separate ourselves from it so strongly but the truth is that we are all one yeah yeah, i totally agree with that and you know i I wrote a book on buddhism and that's sort of like one of the primary beliefs of buddhism yeah is that you know we the nature of our, our reality the state that we're in is dualistic but the absolute reality is not. That's right. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So did you have any other paranormal experiences in West Africa? <laughs> I mean, how much time do you have? Uh, read the book. <laughs> there's a lot in there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, there's, there's a lot more. There's a lot more. It was, I mean, the whole experience was, was sort of surreal <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but yes, I definitely had some very very mystical experiences. And there's one experience, I will actually tell this one because I I use this as a spoiler. I mean, not a spoiler, a teaser a lot. So while I was there, uh, I went there partly because it was the most stable country in the region at the time. But while I was there, there was a coup d'etat. And so I had never experienced anything like this in my life before. And I had no kind of context for it. And so I had this really strong cognitive dissonance where I was sort of in denial that it was even happening. <laughs> kind of like what's going on now, but we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that. <laughs> so, so I was out walking and I was you know, sneaking over to this, the house of this guy that I wasn't supposed to be seeing. Again, this is a common theme, right? In this book. But I see this truck, a, a flatbed truck full of military guys coming around the corner And they're all, you know, they have their AK-47s and they're shooting them in the air because they've just taken over the government. You know, this is the military who's just ousted the president with a coup and they're super excited. So they're celebrating. And so I'm looking at this like, what am I seeing? I mean, it was like seeing a pirate ship sailing, you know, on the ground. That's how, that's how strange it seemed to me and I felt like I had somehow stumbled into like a bad movie you know that I would turn the channel on back at home and all of a sudden they start kind of tipping their guns toward me and they recognized me because I had been performing on tv I had become sort of a pseudo celebrity right and uh so they (laughs) apparently now I didn't realize this at the time But they associated me with the president because I had actually performed for the president on TV recently. And so I was their enemy in their eyes. But I didn't see that because, of course, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm a celebrity. Everybody likes me. And so I just stood there like a kind of deer in headlights. And then all of a sudden, someone grabbed me from behind and put me down on the ground and got on top of me. And at first... I thought that I was being like raped or sexually assaulted, but no, he was covering my body with his body and he saved my life. (laughs) Uh, I did get a little bit of shrapnel in my thigh, but that's it. And then he disappeared. And I mean like disappeared. I got up and I couldn't see anyone who, you know, could have been the person who just did that around me. And so I still, to this day, am not 100% sure that that was a human being who did that. I really don't know what that was. Hmm. Yeah, I have no real explanation for it. I mean, it's possible that some total stranger just risked his life to save mine, which is amazing in and of itself. Um, But I also kind of wonder, like, what was it a human? What was it? I don't know. I can't say. Wow. That had to be scary too. Like all of a sudden you're, you're doing something 
as innocent as performing and then they yeah. perceive you as an enemy. Yeah, it, it got it got scary after that for sure. It, at that moment, it wasn't because I was mm. so disconnected from it <laughs> until I was actually like on the ground and someone was on top of me. And then I was like, whoa, what is actually happening here? And that was when the kind of reality hit me. Um, but it's funny how you, your brain protects you from things like that. You know, uh, it helps you sort of separate yourself. And like I said, look at it almost like a movie that you're watching because when there's nothing you can do about it, it's like, it's kind of cruel to let you be in it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like the out of body experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't like outside of my body looking down at it or anything like that, but I definitely felt separated from the entire situation, you know, in a way. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. You have a degree in drama. That I do. What got you into uh, acting and drama? I mean, I think like a lot of kids, I just kind of had the drama bug. Um, I really liked being uh, the center of attention. (laughs) (laughs) And I just really loved the experience of acting. I had, I was really good at memorizing. And so it was pretty easy for me to, you know, memorize uh, long chunks of, monologue and and dialogue and things like that. And I just really loved the experience of putting myself like empathically into another person's life and embodying that experience and showing other people what, what, you know, what would this experience be like? And because I, you know, I'm pretty empathic. I think it was a really empowering experience for me. Mm-hmm. to give voice to these other people's experiences. And so that's why I got into it. Are there any like emotions that you find difficult to do? Like, like, like for me, for example, like if I was acting, uh-huh. I, I don't know if I would be able to make myself cry. Like, I don't think I've cried <laughs> since the day I was born. <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you, it's kind of a masculine feminine split here. Men have a hard time accessing sadness and women have a hard time accessing anger. Uh, and so for me, I, I actually really enjoy doing angry scenes because it's so kind of liberating <laughs> to have the excuse to be able to do that. But I do find that the characters that are really difficult for me to play are the ones that are really spiteful or jealous or angry. And just to inhabit that kind of uh, bitterness, I find really difficult to do, especially over a long period of time, because you rehearse every night for a long time. You know, it's not just that one performance. Um, or sometimes, you know, the, the the run can be very long and you do a lot of different performances. And so probably the the hardest roles for me are the ones where someone's just really like not happy with their lives. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> um, do you have any favorite Shakespeare plays? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I love the Shakespearean comedies. Uh, I'm a big fan of Twelfth Night, uh, As You Like It, and um, Midsummer Night's Dream. I think those are probably my favorites. Twelfth Night is actually my favorite. Is it? It is, well, yeah. Can I do a little Olivia for you? Absolutely. <laughs> so this is one of my favorite little speeches. Cesario. By all the roses of the spring, by maidhood, truth, and every thing, I love thee so that maker all thy pride, nor wit, nor reason can my passion hide. Do not extort thy reason from this clause, for that I woo, thou therefore hast no cause. But rather, reason thus with reason fetter. Love sought is good, but given unsought is better. That is great. <laughs> I've always wanted a guest that could do Shakespeare on the fly. <laughs> well, there you go. You, you, your wish came true today, sir. That is great. Um, so you also work as a narrator? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I narrate audiobooks. That's part of my day job, I guess you could say. <laughs> anything that um, you like to, you know, anything that, any of your projects that really stick out as a, an accomplishment? Well, I will say I'm challenge? working, right, the one I'm really excited about is the one I'm working on right now, which is, of course, my own book. Uh, it's really fun to get to read my own writing because, you know, when I do other people's audiobooks, it's like I kind of interpret it, but then they come back and say, you know, no, do it this way. 
(laughs) (laughs) And so it's really fun to get to be able to just have complete creative control over it and read it exactly as I was thinking it as it happened to me. So this is the one that I'm, I think it's going to be my magnum opus, I will say. Um, so have you ever like done any TV or like movie type of narration? I've done some, I've done some commercials. Um, I've mostly done like indie, uh, movies and things. I haven't done much mainstream stuff, honestly, um, mostly because I did not want to move to LA or New York and really commit to that process of like, you know, a constant auditioning and constant rejection. <laughs> <laughs> I wimped out. I will, I will say it that way. Um, I love theater. You know, I have a PhD in theater and it's been, you know, a, an important part of my life, but I never wanted it to become uh, my day job. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted it to be the thing that I do because I love doing it. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of what I've stuck to. Interesting. Where I'm from, I'm from Princeton, New Jersey and like theater is actually huge there. They have a, mm-hmm. a place called the Carter Theater, and it has two separate theaters. And they used to have this thing called the Shakespeare Festival. And that's how I got into Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it wasn't, well, I mean, it's close to New York, but, you know, it's not like living in New York. Right. But it's kind of cool. That, like, it's, you know, I think people sort of get numbed out by sometimes from like movies and television, mm-hmm. but there's nothing like going to a theater and experiencing it live because there's just a whole different energy to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a really hard time right now for theater people. Uh, you know, they can't do the thing that really gives their life meaning. And so I've been doing a lot of just if I can say therapy help mm-hmm. <laughs> with my theater friends right now. Cause I think they're just going through a really rough time. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to play music too. And there's like, yeah, it's just no place to play. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. So I had to sort of podcast as an outlet. Exactly. And you know, I love my podcast. Don't get me wrong, but it's a very different thing when it's in person. Like you said, it has a different energy to it when someone's performing live right in front of you. And I hope we can get back to that. I hope so too. Yeah. So we're going to move on to something fun now. Your Yay, accents. <laughs> the, 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 the famous YouTube video of you doing accents. Yeah. So this is my little party trick. I guess. Uh, I've always been able to do this. I've just had a good kind of ear for different accents since I was a kid. And I will say my accents are pretty cartoony. I mean, I go, I I exaggerate them on purpose so that you can kind of hear the differences between the accents. And so, you know, I get a lot of complaints that like, oh, you know, we don't really talk like that. It's like, okay, I know you don't really talk like that, (laughs) but those are the most sort of uh, standout features of that regional accent. <laughs> so that's what I do. <laughs> so I put together two lists of accents. One is sort of going down the East Coast. Okay. And then I have my around the world list of accents. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. All right. All right. So you ready? Sure. Why not? Maine. Oh, okay. So you're going to start with one that I don't actually do. <laughs> <laughs> so I will, I will say right off the bat, I don't do everything. I have mm-hmm. not been everywhere. Uh, I have, you know, my, my accents that I do because I know someone from there. And so basically I'm doing a person from, from that place who I know. And I don't know anyone from Maine. So I'm the next sorry. one down from Maine is Boston. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people talk about Pakika and Havid Yad and all that. I, um, I've never been to Boston, so it's hard to say if that's really how they talk. But that's what I've heard. Yeah, that's how they talk. <laughs> Again, don't know that one. Bronx. Mm. Well, I do Brooklyn. Does that count? Yeah, that counts. All right. So, yeah, there you go. I know a lot of people from Brooklyn. Brooklyn's a great place. I've been there a couple of times, and I absolutely love it. I think the accent is absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's got its kind of, you know, down-home grace to it that I just think is fantastic. My personal favorite, New Jersey. Ah, New Jersey. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I have a friend who's from New Jersey and here's how she talks. Now, again, I know that not everybody from New Jersey talks like this, but that's the way she talks. And I absolutely think it's fantastic. Philadelphia. Oh, so yeah, Philadelphia. Um, I, 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 I dated a guy from Philadelphia and he's, he always said like row, like the, <laughs> like this water. Uh -huh. what, what is that? What is that about water? And uh, yeah, this is some weird kind of things in, in Philadelphia. <laughs> I used to do customer support and one of the places they do support before it was Philadelphia and you're the most difficult people to understand. Yeah. It's a fascinating accent. West Virginia. West Virginia, yeah. So in West Virginia, they add a lot of vowel sounds, is what I've noticed. Kind of all over Appalachia, that's how they kind of talk. It's like they put vowel sounds where no vowel sounds should probably go. <laughs> Maryland. Uh, again, don't know Maryland very well. Um, North Carolina. So I grew up in North Carolina. And so it's real similar to... Um, yeah, Appalachian, but they kind of have their own little twang to it. So I was born in um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And so this is what I remember people talking like back there. And I remember when I came to um, Seattle, I thought, man, do these people talk funny. <laughs> is there a difference between North and South Carolina? Oh, it's pretty subtle. It's pretty subtle. Georgia? Georgia. So now we get into the deep south. We got the Georgia peach. And I think this is probably one of the most beautiful dialects that you will find in the United States, in my opinion. In my current state, Alabama. Alabama. So that's pretty similar to Georgia, but there's just a little bit more of a up tilt to it, if I can say that. Uh, does that sound about right for Atlanta? It, it does. There you go. Now we're going to go around the world. British. <laughs> so British is, again, there's a lot of different kinds of British. What I'm doing right now is called RP, which is received pronunciation. And it's what the royals learned to do. So they have a very plummy accent. So that's, that's your sort of standard British. Then we can go Cockney which is how people in London usually talk. Um, it's not quite this exaggerated, like I said, usually, um, but they do have their own really specific accent in London. Um, and then there's Northern England, which I think is a, a bit less done. People don't usually do the Northern uh, England, but I really love it. I think it's really lovely. And it's, it's, it's a bit softer, if that makes sense to you. It does. Uh, sounds like, um, I don't know, one of the characters from Sons of Anarchy. Was... Yeah, again, and these are just like people I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, Irish. And, uh, Irish is one of my favorites. Um, again, there's a lot of different I Irish accents. Um, all of these are kind of representative. And the people I know from Ireland are mostly from Galway. So this is sort of a, a West Coast accent from Ireland. But I know that uh, on the East Coast and up in the North, they sound quite different from that. You know, it almost sounds like, uh, I'm almost a little bit like a Midwestern a little bit. You know, there's a similarity there for sure. Uh, I've also heard that it's sort of similar to the uh, East Coast of Canada. And uh, a lot of Irish people settled there. So that does make a lot of sense. Spanish. Spanish. Yes. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I have a cousin who is, uh, she's not from, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm screwing this up now. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you know the Spanish? It's like, Oh God, now I'm just cracking myself up by screwing up. Uh, Spanish is not one of my best. I kind of have to warm up from, uh, on that one. But uh, what, what cracks me up about Spain is that they have this little lisp. <laughs> and, I, and that's because the, uh, the queen, Isabella of Spain, uh, she had a lisp. 
And so the Spanish people just sort of like picked up her lisp, which I think is just absolutely hilarious. And so that's how you can kind of differentiate between uh, Spain, uh, Spanish from Spain and Mexican uh, Spanish accent. So I'll do that <laughs> instead of doing the accent because I'm screwing it up. Um, here's a strange one. Moroccan. Oh, you know, I've never, I don't know anyone from Morocco, but that would be a fun one to learn. I don't know anybody from Morocco either. <laughs> Indian or Hindu, Hindi. Yes. So uh, there are a lot of Indian people in uh, Seattle. That is a very common one for around here. So I do get a lot of practice uh, listening to the Indian accent. And I think, again, it is uh, really beautiful. It's one of those that you don't hear as often, but is... Um, it's really lovely. I know you can do this one, African. <laughs> so again, when I say African, I say West African because I have not been to all parts of Africa, but the part that I have been to, they kind of talk like this. This is a very similar cadence for what you will normally hear in a lot of West Africa. Hmm. South Africa, they sound like British, don't they? They do, but it's a little bit different. They almost sound Australian. Yeah. Um, yeah, the South African accent is, again, really, really beautiful. I don't have as much practice with that one, so I'm not going to butcher it for you. But um, that's one of those that I'd like, to, I'd like to practice a little bit more and get better at. And uh, can you speak Japanese? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, no. Why are you asking me Japanese? It is uh, not my best. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody like uh, the Japanese accent, but it's a uh, <laughs> very stereotypical, uh, very stereotypical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fun one. That was the perfect one to end. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't ask me my favorite, uh, the French accent. What is your favorite? This is, I love to do the French accent because um, I lived in France for a long time and uh, I know the French very well. Uh, they, are, they use a lot of the um, sounds in between the, the words. So it's like they are, um, if I can say, afraid that you will interrupt them and uh, they don't want to be uh, interrupted. That's why they do that. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't want people talking over them. That's right. That's right. Because they do it to each noises. other all the time. <laughs> cracks me up all right um so you also have a podcast um what made you be do. to uh get into the podcast and what is your podcast about and yeah so it's called that's allowed and allowed is spelled a-l-o-u-d and so for me i started doing it just to tell my own stories that i kind of wasn't telling publicly uh because i wanted other people to know that they weren't alone, like in their weird, absurd, hilarious, uh, embarrassing, bizarre experiences. <laughs> and then I discovered that other people had lots of cool stories that they weren't telling. And so I started just helping people to tell their own stories. And this actually turned into a career. So now I am a story coach. <laughs> and so this is what I do now for a living is I help people find and kind of align to their authentic core stories, discover what those stories are, get them kind of outside of their head. Cause when you have a story stuck in your head, you know, it kind of, it colors everything you do and everything you see, but when you can get it outside of yourself as a story, I think it can be really helpful to you and to other people as a kind of inspiration. Cause you can see like, Oh, I was there, but now I'm here and everything that happens happens for you, not to you. And that's the subtitle of my book because I really strongly believe that. That's great. Yeah. So, so, so you, can of... find, you can find the podcast uh, on Anchor. Mm -hmm. uh, just type in That's Allowed, A-L-O-U-D, or you can go to thatsallowed.com. Awesome. I was yeah. listening to one of them. Um, I think it was Renee Schultz. Uh-huh, uh, -huh, and, uh, -huh. uh Like, you really not afraid to touch on some really deep emotional stuff yeah and that's kind of the point is that what we're getting at is like i completely understand that in our daily lives you know we don't get to process this stuff because it's it, it's deep emotions you know it's it's hard to 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 confront this stuff and so i give people this opportunity it's kind of therapeutic but it's also a way of creating something out of something that you thought was 
a bad thing or a negative thing, creating something beautiful out of it, creating a story that other people can listen to and go, wow, that's so inspiring. I have had a similar, because you'd be amazed how your weird, even incredibly specific experiences can be relatable to other people because we've all had something like that happen. We've all experienced that emotion, if not in that same situation. It is like I, emotions that I think sometimes with humans is a common denominator that really can connect us together. Absolutely. Which yeah, actually absolutely. helps combat that racism thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you look at it and go, wow, you know, uh, I cry, he cries, we all, we all cry sometimes. We all rage and scream and want to punch things, you know. Uh, we all get joyful. We all experience emotion. It is a common thing to all humans. And people have different emotional experiences or different levels of emotional experience. But, uh, but emotion is the one thing that we can all relate to. Um, have you had any, uh, who's your favorite guest on your podcast and why? Um, so I think Daniel Levin was probably my favorite guest because he was just so incredibly wise and willing to be completely kind of vulnerable and authentic. But he also, instead of talking about his own stories, he told a couple of stories of other people that he had encountered who had really touched him. And so that was really powerful to me was recognizing the power of other people's stories, um, who probably didn't even realize the effect they were having on him at the time, but how that, that profoundly changed him. So that was probably my, my favorite episode so far, but I've had and, some great ones. And have you ever had a guest that wasn't what you expected them to be? Oh my gosh. All the time, all the time. Yeah. I often, you know, invite people on thinking they're going to talk about one thing and they completely surprise me and go in a completely different direction than I expected. And that's kind of what I love about the format of my show too. I just ask a series of questions and let people answer them honestly. And I try not to kind of over talk in advance. <laughs> I do give them the questions so they can kind of ponder them, but mm -hmm. I don't talk to them about it in advance because I purposefully want to have that experience along with them of being sort of surprised by the story that comes out. Have you ever had a guest that you didn't like? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had, I had one guy on and I ended up not using the, uh, the recording and it wasn't because, you know, it was mostly because it came out really boring. <laughs> I actually often use, you know, if somebody like upsets me, or really pisses me off, you know, I'll use that because it's good stuff. Like that mm -hmm. makes for good listening when we disagree or there's a kind of, you know, emotional button that gets pushed. Uh, I use that stuff. But this guy just, it was just really dull. Like he, he wasn't going deep, you know, he was using a bunch of surface nonsense and he just wanted to talk about his business and himself. And he really wasn't willing to get vulnerable with me at all. And so I didn't like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's definitely a common denominator between everything you do. Uh, and the reasons for it, it seems like, um, you know, trying to help people get in touch with their emotions and their feelings and finding an outlet. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, what I'm hearing is like, it's almost like the artistic process and carrying people through that. Am I kind of yes. on point with that idea? You're totally on point with that. I think of it as a creative process, a therapeutic process. It's both of those at the same time. Uh, I think I find, I've always found the creative process to be very therapeutic uh, for myself. And so I try to help other people kind of walk through that process because not everyone has the same kind of artistic training that I have had. And so what I do is just help people to recognize that everyone's story is entertaining. It's interesting. It's relatable. It's just about finding the right entry point and finding where it begins and ends and what the climax is. It's, it's the same stuff. It's just giving a story 
a shape that is easy to take in. That's all it is. And it's something that everybody could do. Like not everybody can paint or play music or, or act or write, but everybody has the ability to tell a story. Absolutely. And I also think that everyone can, you know, at least follow a recipe for those things. They, you know, they may not be the most talented, but if you go to even like a, you know, a a sip and paint kind of place where you drink wine and, you know, someone shows you how to paint a landscape, like anyone can walk out with a nice landscape, you know, it's just about having that person who knows what the recipe is and can help you find the right ingredients for your cake. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I know for me, you know, as a kid, like I know, in the beginning, I didn't have any hobbies or anything. But when I started learning how to play guitar and learning to play music, mm-hmm. it, it totally changed the direction of my life, really. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, granted, so it never powerful. really became my career, but it was always my go-to outlet. Yeah. And I think you know? everyone needs that. And everyone really needs that right now. And this is a really unprecedented opportunity, if I can say, for a lot of people who are not doing the job that they've always done right now, uh, or at least have done for a long time, and are able to kind of get back in touch with, well, what do I want to do with my time? How do I want to spend my days? What do I want to create? And I see a lot of people getting creative and getting in touch with parts of themselves that they've kind of fallen out of touch with for a long time. And I think that is absolutely beautiful. It is. And you give people a voice, people that normally would not have that opportunity. I do try to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So are you playing the guitar again? I've never stopped. I've always played. Fantastic. Um, I've been playing since I was about 12, something like that. That's awesome. I love yeah. it. Yeah, when I was like, I was a young kid. I was like maybe like nine or 10 years old. I remember watching TV. I have a pretty good memory. I was watching TV and I saw Alice Cooper on TV. And I was like, Mm. that's it. That's what I want to be when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) How'd that work out for you? (laughs) I never became Alice Cooper. That's for sure. Well, Um, here's the thing. Alice Cooper's already Alice Cooper. So, you know, you got to be you because everybody else is taken. Yeah. It was, but I actually did get to meet him once, which was cool. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And, um, but it is, like, even him, like that theatrical expression, you know, he, he kind of, yeah. you know, took, you know, even like, like during that dark period where he's like, you know, on drugs and he's an alcoholic and stuff, and he just kind mm-hmm. of created something out of that, you know, even if yeah. it's dark or whatever, it was, it still had some meaning. Definitely. Um, it's like that, I think, you know, with all musicians and all types of artists. That, that's why I always think, like, art is such an important thing. And I kind of get bummed out when I see, like, oh, we're taking art out of the schools. And I'm kind of like, I think art might be the most necessary thing in a school. I completely agree with you. And I think everyone who has dedicated their life to art uh, will tell you the same thing, that they, they don't regret it. They don't regret it. And, you know, I know a lot of lawyers who can't say the same thing, so. Yeah. And I'd much rather be a poor, struggling artist than a rich corporate millionaire. I'll I'll take it any day. But I also think that we need to recognize the value of art and pay artists what they're worth, too. You know? Yeah. Although I don't mind usually playing for free. (laughs) It totally depends. I mean, I, yeah, there... There, there are times when it's all about just the joy of performing and giving. And then there are times when, you know, it's, we need to be recognized that we really put some work into this and it's valuable, you know, and you need to value that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, like my book, like, like, like the book, like writing a book, it takes a lot yeah. of work. It's a lot Hopefully of time. Does it. And it, it, it's, it's such a tedious process that I never really expected <laughs> Like, exactly. like that is, is, is something like, like when I have guests on and they have a book, I'm like, I'm always willing to buy the book, you know, because right. I know firsthand you know what, what went it was into like, that. you know, I mean. Yeah. And review it, please. Reviews make a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Even if you didn't like it, review it. Just more reviews is better. <laughs> always. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, like, like writing the book, like one of the things that I found that, that surprised me was I spent much more time editing than I did actually writing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Writing is rewriting. That is a universal truth. Yeah. And I would say about, I only used maybe half of what I wrote. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. The original. So by the way, you know, this book, it is from my journals that I wrote while I was in Africa and the actual journals, I mean, geez, it, it would, it would fill volumes. I had to cut so much out. <laughs> and that really was the hardest part of this whole project was deciding, well, this character is not really, you know, uh, useful to the through line of the story. And so I just cut them completely, which feels really weird to cut actual mm -hmm. humans out of your life. <laughs> <laughs> And like combine them with other people, it's it's very strange. But that's the process of editing a memoir. So, yeah, it's definitely. I don't know. I I'll probably will write another book eventually, but mm -hmm. not today. I, I, yeah, I, I can't even seem, seem to write a blog anymore. So yeah. Well, I'm working on my next book. Uh, it's going to be a kind of companion piece, which is you know I talk a lot about. Emotional abuse in this book, but mm -hmm. I don't give a lot of practical tips on how to recognize it or get out of a situation and heal from it. And so that's what the next book is all about. It's kind of a practical guidebook for recognizing emotional abuse, breaking those patterns, getting out of those relationships, and healing from it. How does somebody do that? Well, you'll have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> Quick overview. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Basically, what you do is you get really well in touch with yourself and who you are and what your values are, and you learn to respect your own boundaries and insist that other people respect them too. And that is a lot easier said than done. It's a big, <laughs> long process. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know. It's a uh, lifelong journey, shall we say. Yeah. No, thank you for being on my podcast. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to promote or want to say to my listeners? Uh, just, I would love for you to read the book. Uh, it's called Melting Ivory. You can find it on Amazon Kindle or in paperback. And please uh, give it a review uh, on Goodreads or on Amazon. I would really, really appreciate that. And I think you'll like it. Uh, as, uh, as Gary can attest, it's a pretty good book. Yeah, yeah, like I said, like, it's like I'm more used to reading about Bigfoot and flying saucers and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I'll, I'll read it, you know. I, I have to mm -hmm. buy it for because you're coming on my podcast. And I exactly. started reading it, and now I'm like almost like halfway through, and I've, it's only been two days. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot that people sort of, you know, it's, it's longer than, you know, they usually read, and so they think it's going to take them a long time, and then they like binge it in like two days. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> And, and, and it's very well written too, which makes it easier to read. Like some books I've come across that are, you know, just not that well written and just kind of just stumbling through sentences. Yeah. And yours is definitely not like that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, well, thank you for being on my show. Thank you so much for having me. And, it was really um, fun. Yeah, that was great. And uh, just to my listeners, just as important, it is important to review her book. Please like and review my podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> we need that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. And that is it. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, coworkers, and even that weird uncle which I would be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. And Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. And oh yes, you can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, 
the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.